No history of AA growth in Detroit can properly be recorded without mention of Sarah Klein. Sarah, although a non-alcoholic, has a very deep insight and understanding of the alcoholic problem. And as you heard mentioned in Archie's talk, it was very, very helpful to Archie in the beginning. In the beginning when he needed a little help and encouragement. In those early days, there were no members to meet with Archie, and Sarah, in the first few meetings, uh, held those meetings with Archie in his room on Merrick Avenue. I imagine, Sarah, that listening to Archie's talk that we just heard must bring back many memories to you. Yes, indeed. Uh, first of all, I have listened to the man who has done the things which I have been unable to do. God has allowed alcoholics the inestimable boon of bringing to them healing. God can work for an alcoholic only through another alcoholic. So I feel very humble when I hear, as I have just heard, the remarks of the story told by men who have done the all-important part of taking to God these people who needed him. And that has resulted in eventual healing for them. Now, Arch and the early men connected him with him were so busy in helping others that they really didn't think of many other things. True, they had to make a living, but this other work was all important to them. There were many developments that came out of these early efforts. Developments which I think had a major part of importance in our lives, that is the life of our city and our community. For as these men and women became healed of their alcoholism, they were returned to their places in the community. Also, the community became aware of what was helping and immediately tried in their way to help. For instance, the Detroit News offered its facilities of radio station WWJ. For a long time, we had weekly programs. Men and women talked over the air, not revealing their identities, but telling the story of their own sickness and of their eventual overcoming of that sickness. In that way, people listening in had hope for themselves, and a great deal of our growth came from those the radio programs. I think you'll be interested to know that at one point, a man, a colored man, was one day very dejected, sick, afraid of losing his job, afraid of losing everything because of his constant and heavy drinking. He listened to the radio program, it was always on Saturday evening, and he got some hope. At any rate, he sat down, he wrote a card at that time the calls were being relayed to me. A man was sent to call on him. And the call of beloved memory right away accepted the AA program 
and founded what is now our interracial group, a very large group. And from its inception, it has been interracial. There has been no distinction of any kind. And that's the way it should be, because in it, one of the steps of AA is to carry the message to alcoholics without qualification, male, female, black, white, old or young, or rich or poor. Democracy is at work here, democracy in, the fi in its finest sense, because all differences have been erased. The banker, the businessman, the laborer, the housewife, the society woman, and also the persons of all creeds and of all nationalities. Here we meet as one, and I repeat, we find democracy at its very best. Returning to our civic responsibilities, of which we became aware after the disease of alcoholism had been arrested, I watched the men and women of the early days of AA take their message into the penal institutions, into the state hospitals, into the jails, into the mission. And out of those efforts, many, many despondent people, more despondent perhaps than the first men who had came, who had come into AA of their own volition. But many of these people had been committed uh, by families or by uh, various officials. I remember distinctly in the early days men going out to Jackson Prison. Uh, the uh, book of AA was already in the prison library. And as inquiries were made by the inmates, uh, the word came to us in Detroit of those inquiries. And men readily dropped their work and went out there, were allowed by the chaplain to hold meetings and uh, to talk with men who were interested. Now, that was true of other Michigan prisons, too. It was also true of our Detroit uh, Houses of Correction, to our state hospitals at uh, Ypsilanti. And uh, in a very short time, AA groups were formed in all those institutions. And every month at first, later on every week, men and women from the Detroit group went there, had meetings, told their stories, offered their help, gave their literature, and uh, gave their names and addresses where men could find them at any time. Uh, it's good to think back of the few men that I distinctly remember who, on leaving Jackson Prison and coming to Detroit, first I looked up the AA. Also, uh, with the people who were, I suppose we would call them then mentally ill, but who had been afflicted with alcoholism. In the state hospitals, uh, uh, they didn't progress.
too well, but if the doctors in there learn of the therapeutic value of uh, AA and had the men from Detroit come out, tell them about it, uh, patients uh, recovered were patients who were thought to be there for the rest of their lives were released. Others were released much earlier than had, than had been hoped for. And that way, the wonder, the wonder of it spread. As I say, these men and women who had returned to normal life had taken upon themselves all the obligations which they owed to their community. Of course, then the work was spread into the churches, and the ministers who had known nothing about it became aware of it and were able to do much more effective work in their counseling, particularly as it affected alcoholics. Thinking back to those early men, though, it is amazing when you think that uh, the things that they were permitted to do or able to do through arresting their disease in AA has probably touched so many lives, you know. So many people have been affected, just as you mentioned a moment ago, that uh, you often wonder what would have happened to a lot of other people had not they been around. Isn't that so? Yes, uh, that's uh, very true. Uh, the first two men, uh, they went from this constant and very severe uh, alcoholism, and of course it had affected uh, their home life and the members of their families uh, very greatly. They went along uninterruptedly, though. They stopped the drinking, they got the vision of uh, what God had done for them and uh, what he expected them uh, to do for others. Now, while sobriety is the single aim of uh, the AA program, out of it, of course, comes the flowering of a new life. I like to think back to Oh, this one man, for instance, who, who found sobriety for that time was uh, not at all prosperous. Uh, but he went ahead, worked, got a small plant, a very small plant, and in that small plant he took a few member of and uh, they all worked very hard. I think they interrupted their work in their plant by having AA meetings, talking talking over their needs and also in praise for their new help that had come to them. Well, in turn, that factory grew. It grew to a very, very large place, employed a great many people. And I like to remember but the man who started that factory took into his employ other AAs. Also took out, took into his employ men who were released from uh, prison and from hospitals. So it became, uh, and it remains for years, a place that was manned almost by almost entirely by people who had been sick the way uh, he had been. They, in their way, became 
are successful. Uh, they earned good money and uh, were able to reestablish their uh, homes and uh, became happy members of the community. I also like to remember the story of the man who had been married for a long time and had never had uh, children. Uh, at the time of coming into AA, or just before that rather, he uh, had adopted a child. And uh, the family seemed about to divide. And he came into AA, uh, reconciliation uh, took place, and behold, what happens to him? A baby. Never thought, never thought it could happen to them. But God gave them a baby of their own, and they are now flourishing, happy, happy in every way, happy with, happy with their family. The father has been able to provide beautifully for them. The children are being finally educated. That's one of my pet stories. I speak of this now young girl as being our first AA baby. At any rate, out of all these have come normalcy. Not expected in some of the cases, but it has come about. Independence, economic aid, uh, joy in families, old feuds have been uh, dissolved and broken. Men and, and the women have made amends uh, to their families, have taken their responsibility as fathers, as mothers and as citizens. And that I love to recall. I love to think about it. It's a great, it's a great wonder. Personally, I have not seen it worked out in any other way in life. I've always been a church member. I still am. Somehow AA has opened up a complete new area for me. I have seen God work in AA as I have never seen him work in any other way. And I think that our nation has been helped by the reestablishment of individuals and of a home. Deborah Klein has known the growth and development of AA in Detroit since its inception. Although herself not an alcoholic, she was extremely helpful to our founder, Archie T., in the early days. Although not an alcoholic, she has a rare insight and understanding of the alcoholic problem. And in those early days, was very insp inspiring and helpful to Archie in form formulating the early groups I'm going to let Sarah tell you her own story of those early days, just as it happened. Sarah, what is your earliest memories of your meetings with Archie uh, in his room on Merrick Avenue? Well, I would like to go back a little uh, before then, because I think it would make the picture clearer. I had the good fortune to have one of the first copies of what we lovingly call our big book, The Story of AA. 
That was in April 1939. I read the book and was so impressed by what I read that I wrote to New York asking them how they intended to put into practice that which they wrote in the book. I had a reply. Arch was then in Akron, and they wrote telling him that they had had a letter from Detroit, and of course they concluded that I was an alcoholic. And they told Arch that he had his first prospect awaiting him in Detroit. Arch returned to Detroit in July 1939 and immediately came to call on me. Afterwards, he laughingly called me his first man. He was in ill health, had lost his home, was without means or work. But he gallantly went ahead, first looking for a job, but always on the lookout for people who were sick as he was. He wanted to give them the message and the hope that he had brought back from Accra. Now, Arch had no telephone, and I did. And that is where I first was of help to him. He would contact somebody, and so eager was he to help them that he wanted to make an immediate date. If he could not, he left my telephone number for them to call. Then, later, having made some contacts, he decided to have meetings in his room on Merrick Avenue. Those meetings, the first ones, were held in midwinter of 1939. The first several meetings, no one came, so Arch and I sat there talking of course, about the 12 steps in the AA program. Then, one night, came three men. Roy, who had been sent by his firm to Akron the previous summer, and his brother-in-law, and a young chap, about 30 years old, Steve, who afterward became our first secretary. I can remember with almost an awesome feeling sitting there looking at and listening to these uh, men talk. A couple of weeks after that, another man came. He was then a patient at Ypsilanti State Hospital. The doctor in charge there had heard of Dr. Bob and the work he was doing in Akron, and he allowed this man to come in once a week under care uh, to our meetings. Uh, he stayed with us for some time. In fact, we saw him develop not only as an individual, but he became one of the top men in one of the large uh, automobile manufacturing plants in Detroit. Archer's room was very small, so after about 
a half a dozen of us were there. We were overcrowded. I remember we used to have to go into adjoining rooms and borrow chairs. Arch invariably sat upon his bed and sometimes, in fact, he was so weak he had to lie down. I had been talking of the wonder that I was seeing worked in these men to everybody I knew. Amongst them, a friend who worked for the Council of Churches in Detroit. At one time, she asked me how we were getting along, and I told her very well, except that our meeting place was overcrowded, and she offered us her recreation room, often lovingly spoken of as Benson's basement. There we moved in the winter of 1940. We stayed there about a year, a very happy year. We grew first from one corner of that basement room to filling up the whole place. I remember going out and buying chairs. And it was there that we learned the first fine lessons of friendliness with parties, a Christmas party, a New Year's party, and the birthday parties of the various members. Then we were overcrowded when we had to move over on the other side into the furnace room. Uh, hearing facilities were not very good and we were out of the range of seeing each other. So, in the winter of 41, we moved to 42-42 Care. We had our first meeting there February 26, 1941. And that was our home, our beloved home, for some time. It was into that meeting room that many, many sick men and women came, dejected, frustrated, hopeless. And we saw the regeneration take place. By that time, we'd had national publicity. The Saturday Evening Post article had been written and also one in the Reader's Digest. And then uh, we were flooded with applicants. People were beginning to understand that these afflicted people had illnesses. Not moral, but physical illnesses. And they became unafraid and were willing to come for help. The meetings there were so large People had come so far that we decided to divide the group and make make them more accessible. So then one was founded for the east side, where the people on the east side could go. One in the northwest part of the city, the northwest group. That lasted less than a year. The crowd came in so. Then came other groups, notably the north group, the Northeast Group, the Hubble Grand River Group, and innumerable ones since then. <clears throat> I've been speaking in numbers and times. Important, but not the important part of AA. For it was the new lives which were being made for men and women which was the important thing. And that continued and uh, has continued. It is the miracle. It is God at work. Working in a way 
can be done in no other way. Accepting true alcoholics, telling of what has happened to them, giving the hope to other men and women, and making true the promises. That's very interesting, Sarah. It's wonderful to hear you tell this in your own words. I happen to know, too, that you were very, very busy in those years. You practically were the personal and private secretary of the, these groups. <laughs> Isn't that true? Oh, yes. I think uh, pretty much of a, of a glorified uh, office boy. As I said before, uh, the early men didn't have uh, telephones, and I took their messages for them, and then... I sent out the uh, meeting cards, and then friends that I knew were kind enough to offer facilities like the Bensons of their room, and uh, uh, that is the way it grew. And of course, uh, then as the books came along, uh, uh, I was able to circulate them, to have them at the various meeting places where members could borrow them or could uh, buy them. And, of course, a flood of literature came along, then pamphlets from various parts of the, of the country, and that enabled me to set up what we called our library. In other words, you actually started the first AA libraries. And I know that uh, for many years you secured most of this literature, and, uh, and much of the uh, literature that you procured in the beginning we still use today. Many of the things uh, that you... Uh, obtained out of the Maccabees building. I remember you kept the library down at the Maccabees building for, <laughs> for many years. And all of that has been a very, very helpful part of the growth and development of AA in Detroit. Well, out of the library work, uh, we were able to spread the message a great deal. We provided uh, all the public libraries in Detroit, in Grosse Point, in Devon, and uh, we provided them with the authorized AA literature that was always on the shelf where people could pick it up. And also, we were able to reach out into the various penal institutions and into the hospitals, provide the patients in both places with authorized uh, literature. At Jackson Prison, for instance, and when men were released, it's wonderful to think back to know that AA was the first place they looked up when they came into Detroit. And so the doctors in the various state hospitals found that it was of a great help to their patients. In fact, they started AA groups right in the hospitals and in the prisons. The last I knew of Jackson, they had two very large AA groups in there. When the men were released from prison, they came out sober and with new hope and a complete new outlook on life. Well, that's grand, too, uh, Sarah. There have been so many interesting uh, developments in AA. I think it would probably be impossible to uh, put down in chronological order the growth and development of the various groups. Uh, each group, perhaps, has a history of its own beginnings. I know the Northwest Group, which is mentioned uh, as one of the first of the splits, uh, just recently, last October, in 1956, celebrated their 15th anniversary. And then, too, an interesting sidelight is the growth of the interracial group in Detroit, which I know that you were very instrumental in, in, in the beginning of that. Uh, could you say a few words about that particular phase of AA development in Detroit? Well, uh, the interracial group 
was 11 years old last uh, November. At 11 years ago, we happened to have a weekly radio program over WWJ that brought many members into AA. At one time, this wonderful colored man was sitting at home. The radio was turned on. He was very sick, was very dejected because he didn't know how he was going to continue his work because of his uh, constant and heavy uh, drinking. And as he listened uh, to the program, he wondered. He wrote a card uh, to the news inquiring about the, the program. And uh, at that time, I was taking all the calls that came in for that, uh, from that radio program. And the call came in uh, from Paul. So this is the first call we had had from a colored person. And uh, I thought of a man who lived nearby, and I asked him if he would go and make a call on this man who had written in. He said, certainly. And on Thanksgiving Day, he went. He went to tell the man about AA. He stayed with this man talking for three and a half hours. And when he left, we had had our first member of our interracial group, Paul of Beloved Memory. He's gone to his eternal home now. But he left the mark that none has been equal to reach. All of us who have ever met him were inspired by him, and we deeply loved him. Uh, he immediately went to work and had a very large group in a short time. That group continues to flourish in the very same meeting where Paul established it now more than 11 years ago. When you started, did you start at 32, 32 pounds? 42, 42. No, no. It was so slight in there. They actually only met one, I think, two nights in Billy Hall. And I was wondering about that. No. The Doty Hall, when I contacted AA uh, around the 1st of March, uh, it was some two weeks later before I went to my first meeting. What year was that? Well, I was supposed to have come out of this dilemma of mine, unlike Archie, somewhere, my mother says, around the 22nd of February of 41. Remember the Saturday evening post, I don't know how it is today, but it was more or less always in advance. Yeah. You see, like, uh, with RFD out there, like, I think you got it on about a Tuesday or a Wednesday, mm -hmm. which would be March 1 edition, for example. And I picked it up, and that's the way it is dated back. Or maybe I don't know. Anyway, Mother said it was around the 22nd or 23rd. She said the 22nd, so... I don't know whether that's correct or not, but it doesn't matter. Other than somewhere in there, I had my last drink. You've heard my story. And, uh, uh, well, when I was contacted then by the sponsor, 
Uh, they had just started meeting in this Church of the Messiah, or what they later called the Indian Village Group. And uh, I think it was their third Sunday in there, if I remember correctly, which would actually be two weeks, I guess. That's being technical, but Carl Root, I remember very well, who passed on not so long ago, uh, was the first chairman of the first day meeting I ever attended. And uh, there was nothing mentioned. Now, the only mention there was of any other meeting was right at that particular time was in an attorney's office down the Barlton Tower. And that was, of course, Pat. Yeah. And uh, a few of them were meeting in there. But then this was all rolled into one there in pretty short in a matter of just perhaps a month's time or three, four, five weeks' time. You came in then as a result of the uh, <coughs> article in the Saturday Evening That's Post. right. Uh-huh. Did you read that or your mother? Well, I was coming out of my awful state when my mother handed me that article along about uh, mid-forenoon of the day that it came out, whichever it was, of the uh, preceding week. And uh, it was there that I saw what we all gather either direct or indirect through reading or direct contact with another alcoholic was the clincher of the truth about myself. I saw myself as other people had saw me and I knew that there was some other person in the world like me that I thought didn't exist. You were fairly young at the time, Rich Waller. In your... Yeah, strange as it might be, I uh, started pitching what resulted to be my last drunk on my 33rd birthday. Uh, I had turned 33 years of age the 11th of the month that this happened in which was February. And at that time, I was, well, I've heard Archie many times say I was kind of his boy. Yeah. Wonder, so to speak, with the exception of one other, one other fella. But, uh, Was that a fella named Steve something? I think it was. He was a very young fella. Yeah, Steve, I've heard so. In fact, he came up to the room on Merrick, where Archie was at. I've heard Archie in earlier years remark that to his knowledge, uh, I couldn't be qualified, but to his knowledge was probably, without a doubt, the youngest alcoholic that ever actually uh, was not only a prospect, but became really a member of AA. He was only about 21 years old. Did he stay But he came there on behalf of his father at his mother's request. And uh, I know he was sober five years after that. Uh, from then on, I never knew any more about it. It would be interesting to know what happened. It just so happened, as AA does, that Archie and I were talking one time in my home, and he laughed. I suppose he was suddenly uh, reflected with this thing, and I I was hardly aware of it. I don't think I was, so he mentioned it that time. So uh, the only thing was that the defeated it deflated me uh, because I was dragging myself as the boy wonder, not particularly at that time. Well, in a sense, though, you may very well be, uh, in point of sobriety in Detroit, the youngest, oldest member, in a sense. Well, I suppose. Because I think you've stayed continuously sober since, uh, when was that, in 41? Yes, it was 16 years this past February. Well, it's an amazing story. When we hear Archie's talk and Sarah's comments and realize the wonder of this thing, it, it really strikes you. Well, the, uh, 
the simplicity of art, and the, as I used to always put it, and I always like to think of it, uh, the simple wisdom of that man had such a power of significance that the true spirit of it rings a bell greater today than it did at the time of our growing association with one another, as we were, in other words, getting well here. Yes, amazingly. I think Archie's spirit, or the spirit that he manifested, will probably continue to do good. The great, uh, one of the greatest, simplest things, as far as Detroit Wise is concerned, and our beloved friend Archie Trowbridge is concerned, is the fact that uh, he always was in the background. Few people. Few of us, should I dare say, uh, were privileged at an earlier day, realized at the time, the simple, as I say, the simple wisdom of the man, which he must have been, certainly, truly the, the instrument that he spoke about there in his talk, uh, to have the wise and wisdom, uh, to see the folly of, uh, or the danger, should we say, of ever exploiting himself in any different sense than he was certainly divinely inspired to do so, and maybe didn't realize it as such. I think it is very wonderful. I mean, it is a very humbling thing to any individual, uh, especially someone that actually experienced it at a time to really know what you're talking about. Because like myself and the general uh, makeup that we all say we refer to as alcoholic period is eager beaver or power drivers be we introspective or the so-called extrovert uh, but probably want just a little bit of glory let's say not literally but uh, still enthusiasm and the the overwhelming sense of gratitude that you receive to find that you're a free man and somehow there's something about it that we know so long as we continue to serve and pass along what was freely given to us, we shall remain free people forever. It's a wonderful thought. <clears throat> the story, like hearing Archie's story, it's such a marvelous thing. It's so, it reveals again just what Archie said, how much better plans this higher power has for us than anything we could possibly devise. Would, any, would anyone else have been as effective as... Archie, in his unassuming way, I doubt it. I think he was the probably the creators, if you please, whatever your concept might be, was certainly probably his choice for the blueprint that we know now. To carry this thing west, results up to the present. It had to be that way. That's the most amazing thing to me. How this thing works. Now it will continue to work, and we have very little to do with it when you get right down to it. That's right. I think, Tom, we speak about being honest as we can command within ourselves. We know that it calls us. Our founder refers to in our big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. Uh, just where I couldn't tell you, but uh, it calls many times for what he stresses, rigorous honesty on our part for actual continued survival. For so paralyzing is this thing we call this grip of alcoholism that uh, uh, because I lost my train of thought there but 
relation to what Archie was talking about. Go ahead. Yeah, it's hard always to put into words the feelings we have about the program. I don't know, since Archie's passing, uh, it struck me more forcefully the power for good that that particular man was. Of course, in AA, we don't eulogize anyone. And I know that Archie, knowing him as I did, would be the last one that would expect that or want it. We know that. Just the same as Bill, our founder, uh, doesn't want that sort of thing and would be uh, embarrassed, would laugh at it, because to him that would be foolish. He realizes, as Archie did, that he's merely a privileged instrument of God, as we all are. Because to achieve liberation from this terrible disease, and it is a terrible disease, we have to forget ourselves and serve and be God's instruments. Otherwise, we don't we don't keep this wonderful thing. And I, I think that. Well, that's right, Tom, and I think it regated what I got lost in a little bit was the fact we have so little to do with this. I'd rather think of it in likeness that we are but a result of what has happened to us. Certainly, most of us, and we can only refer to our individual self, were incapable of actually making a decision. I think it was really made for us. And therefore, exclusive, not in any right, but only inclusive in all right, uh, is the only way I can accept that. And uh, at least it is a thought and it's a thought that has a very uh, uh, tremendous benefit to us in our discouragement many times when probably we're trying to help another suffer. In other words, uh, uh, we can uh, entertain the medium of a spiritual direction towards him. Hope that he shares can be benefited as we were. That's right. That was a wonderful thought. Those of us that were privileged to be in the A at its inception or close to it. Uh, remember these things. Some of the newer people coming in perhaps don't realize the terrific spiritual import of these early happenings in Detroit and what an influence it's had on so many, many people. Of course, we've had a lot of publicity that uh, in later years have attracted many people who haven't stayed. But then on the other hand, there have been so many. Perhaps some of those early people that Archie worked with have since come back. I just had the experience last night of a man that you know well. Uh, his name is McDonald, and uh, I know he oh, was in AA down in the early days. And, and uh, he's been away for many years, but where else could he go when he finally wound up this debauchery back in AA? That's wonderful. And I think of many men that uh, were prime examples, let's say, of slippers in the early days. And yet those men have achieved sobriety after all their ups and downs. And, and it's a wonderful thing. We can't, uh, we can't measure the... Uh, the uh, actual value of this thing or how it's going to work. We can't say that a man has failed or a man has been successful because time alone proves that. So many, many times that's been the case. And it causes me personally, and I know I imagine you too, to be very, very humble about the whole thing because it's not in our hands. It's, it's God's will. If a man or a woman does get sober and when they get sober and how it happens, that seems to happen so many, many times that I cease to even predict anymore because it's so foolish. You know what I mean on that score. Well, I sure do, Tom. And you know, you started this thing off here, a little reference to this, say, uh, AA wise only, bokeh me a little bit. Little do you realize 
And little do any of us realize, and I'm going to flatter you a little bit, and I think rightfully so, the true spirit of our fellowship, that <clears throat> you are probably one of the youngest and one of the most consistent and finest days that we have in our whole metropolitan earth. That don't mean we're taking or giving anyone anything other than just due respect. Because you certainly have consistently lived and have, no one has ever attempted to give more of himself and time than you have. And be the great, true, humble demonstration that you are as a young man the many years and at the age of, what was it, 26, I think, 26 when I came in when I first met you. And I, I was so, so impressed. I, I couldn't uh, put the words together ready to say but I can recall that night that I first met you as if it was this evening almost and reliving it. And uh, as you look back on it just in a flash, it seems like uh, it was something that at that time you never even thought of doubting, should I say. Sometimes we do handicap people, let's say. So there again uh, reiterates just what you say. Is there is a power among new people, let's say, that is at work? We all try in a feeble way to define, but the only thing that really counts is that it really works. It really works and gets results. It certainly does. And as Sarah says, it can work probably in only that one way, one alcoholic helping another. And those of us that have been sober a little while and <clears throat> gotten our brains, let's say, on scramble, we can, we can realize these things and pause to be a probably a little more grateful. I know myself, I never feel that anything that I did personally could ever achieve this thing for me. I know that it's what I call the grace of God. And that's the only way I can possibly explain it because uh, I know I haven't done anything. Many of these things were just removed for us without our conscious knowledge. Probably the one thing we did do, all of us that have been successful, when I say successful, I mean that we're privileged uh, was try to follow directions, follow follow the few simple suggestions that Archie followed and then passed along to us. Because this most wonderful thing is no good unless we give it away. I am sitting uh, in this lovely city of Charlevoix with an early member of AA in Detroit, Jack S. Jack, I'd like you to perhaps recall some something from your memory of uh, of those early days. Would you do that for me? Well, I'll I'll, uh, I'll give you an example of how rewarding false step work can be. And uh, I had a call on a man named Frank one time, who was a jeweler, and I knocked on the door and walked in the house. And uh, the wife come to the door and let me in. And Frank was sitting on a davenport with a trucks uniform on, a bathrobe, not shaved, eyes all bleary. I heard uh, some screaming in the basement. I found out the wife was down there washing. And while she was asking the door, the little, one of the little boys got his arm cut in a ringer. And she ran down there and got him out, his arm out of the ringer. And there was two more upstairs start fighting. 
You had it there. In other words, it's a madhouse. So I talked to Frank, and uh, finally uh, he agreed to go to a meeting with me. So I took him to a meeting, and uh, I called about a week later again to take him to another meeting. The meetings were very few in those days. And I walked in the, in the home, and what a change. Here Frank was sitting on a Davenport, and uh, he's all cleaned up, white shirt, ties, hair combed, freshly shaved. The wife was smiling. Four little steps, I call them. One was just about an inch taller than the other, sitting on a Davenport inside of him. So I took him to the meeting, and when I brought him home that night, and when I was, when I bid them good night, she comes to the door and she says, Jack, I want to tell you something. Uh, but first, I should say that uh, after a, a while, I think it was a week after that, she said to me, she says, Jack, she said, you can see the change.